How do you maximize performance with your sales force? My name is Anthony Garcia, and I'm the host of the Catapulting Commissions podcast. Join me every week as we discuss topics such as performance or improving retention. And we do so by interviewing some of the top sales professionals and entrepreneurs around the world. Now, let's enjoy the show. Welcome to the Catapulting Commissions podcast. Have you ever wondered, what does it take to run a large-scale organization? Have you ever asked yourself, what does the CEO actually do? How do they implement change within an organization? How do they lead a sales culture? How do they lead an organization in times of uncertainty? How do they make a dramatic shift and change? Now, I know these are questions that I've always had, and it's been my journey on the Catapulting Emissions podcast to find talented sales professionals or talented sales leaders or leaders of an organization and bring them on the show and discuss these such topics with them. My guest today fits right in that category. When I created the Catapulting Commissions podcast, I created a hit list of people I wanted to have on the show to interview and gain some perspective on. And our guest today was one of the top names on that list. Let me tell you a little bit about Aaron Hazacostas. Now, Aaron is the living, breathing business case for authentic leadership. She spent the first half of her career working in the corporate world, where at the age of 42, she became the CEO of a $2 billion healthcare financial institution. In just three years, she tripled earnings and set employee engagement skyrocketing. And just when things were going great, she decided to walk away so that she could help solve what truly breaks her heart, the immense lack of authenticity and happiness in corporate America. Through her company, Be Authentic Inc., Erin is provoking a movement to eradicate the all-too-fake corporate environment by inspiring and enabling an army of people to crush their career without compromising everything else. Erin is a prolific speaker, thought leader, and edutainer. She has spoken in front of thousands. She's also a regular contributor to Business Insider and several industry-leading publications. She also co-hosts an offbeat career and leadership podcast. She is a CEO, wife, mother, coach, runner, MBA, and running man enthusiast. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Erin to the Catapulting Commission's podcast. Aaron, welcome to the show. Holy crap, makes me want to get up and do the running, man. Thank you for the info. I love it. I'm glad to have you here. You have such a profound background that I am honored to have you on the show today. So, um, Aaron, let's, let's kick this thing off right out the way. I want to share with my audience how I was first introduced to you. So, I'm a big, big um, social media guy. I love looking at articles and finding things and things that kind of motivate me. And you had an article in December in Business, in, in Business Insider, and here's the title of the article, and it grabbed my attention. It said, I left my $500,000 a year job to start my own company, and I couldn't be happier. Here are three things I have now that a six-figure salary couldn't give me. Wow. Well, first of all, the power of a good Business Insider editor, because that was not my original title, but you know. They, they know how to spruce them up a little bit. And, and it's funny because I was so excited. That was my first article that I got um, sort of pitched and they took. And I was so excited about it. Couldn't wait for it to come out. 
you know, and of course I, I started circulating on social media and then like, I don't know, like a couple days later, I was like, oh shit. Like I just told the world what I used to make, right? Like <laughs> thing that we hold so dear to ourselves. And I hadn't even like thought twice about it. Cause I was so caught up in the excitement of, of being able to start to spread, um, my thoughts. And then, um, yeah, I sort of had this like, Oh shit moment, but you know, whatever it is, what it is, but yeah, thanks for bringing that up. No, absolutely. So one, that, that article, I, I'm telling you, Aaron, it's inspiring people, right? Because we've, we have talked in depth about this corporate culture, uh, that causes people to say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to leave. I want to create my own thing. So other than now we've shared with your audience and now it's out there for the world to see what you were making before. So, you know, we're gonna get past that issue. Any, any regrets on leaving anything you wish you would have done differently? No. And you know, the, the biggest thing I want to say and impress upon people, I like things were good. You know, I know in my bio, like, you know, there's sort of this like pissed off about the fake corporate world. And yes, like that's what breaks my heart. And that's what's fueling my passion to do what I'm doing now. But I didn't, I actually didn't leave when I was unhappy. I actually left when like things were going really well. You know, we had, we had gotten through this massive turnaround, the company, it was an acquired company uh, by the larger enterprise. And it just went through the typical struggles of integration, not being funded enough, operational issues, which lead to financial issues and obviously cultural issues, employee engagement. And so like the first, the first year of leaving that company was like, it was a shit show. Like my life was crazy, the types of things I dealt with and, you know, through sort of, you know, leading authentically and also leading as a savvy businesswoman and having a great team. And, you know, a lot went into that formula three years later, things were good. Like we went from being the company that the enterprise sort of like everybody hated, made fun of, like, it, like talked about in a negative way. And we went to being like this golden child. It, it was very surreal. And so things were good. Financials were roaring. We'd go into meetings and we had a newer CFO that was overseeing kind of our uh, business area. And like, he, he was just like so positive. And sometimes I just look at him, I'm like, God, he, he wasn't around. Like he doesn't realize how big a deal it is that it's so good. And so, you know, I, I, so many people, right. We hear like, when I get a package or when I retire or like when something bad goes wrong, I'm going to leave. And, and I'll tell you the power of, le I didn't leave with a package. I didn't leave with a parachute. I don't leave with anything other than, you know, some, some company stock that because I technically retired kept going, but the, the fuel that that puts behind you, you know, I think a lot of times, like if I were starting Be Authentic Inc., sitting on a year of severance or what, you know, year and I would have had like a solid probably year and a half. Would I have acted as, as boldly, as powerfully, as quickly? I don't think I would have. And so, yeah, I don't regret it. And let me just tell you one, one story that uh, I can't remember if I put in that article. I definitely put it in one of my business insider articles, but I think your audience so needs to hear it. So, you know, things were going good, but I was starting to get this itch that I always got. And, and my itch is mostly because I thrive off of, of, of exponential learning. And I was at a point where I wasn't exponentially learning anymore. And so started to itch for the next thing and um, started to tell some of my sponsors and they were kind of throwing new jobs at me and they just weren't feeling right. And so I was starting to think like, 
this is probably the time to go out and do something on my own, but I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's consulting. I don't know if it's running another, you know, smaller VC backed company, healthcare company. Like, I don't know if it's career leadership, but it feels like I need to go. And I was on a business trip. I was on Southwest. So I was like in the cattle call line and there's this really nice woman in her like mid fifties. We struck up a conversation. And so we decided to sit next to each other on the plane. And she was telling me about how she used to be in the corporate world. And then, you know, 10, 15 years in, she decided to leave and she started her own business. And so she had this HR consulting practice. So she's telling me all about it. And I'm asking her a million questions. I'm really intrigued. She's so happy. And she stops finally. I said, well, look, here's why I was asking so many questions. Here's my situation. 22 years, CEO of this company, turned it around. But I feel like I kind of want to go do my own thing. And then I said to her, but I think it's really a stupid time to do that. I said, my, my, my sort of personal equity is at like, not financial equity, but Mm. my um, reputations at its highest, like things are going really well. Like it would be really stupid for me to do that right now. And she just looked at me, Anthony, so quickly, so succinctly, and so matter of factly and said, who says this is the top? And I was Mm. like... Oh, damn. You know, all this time it felt like, oh, I've conquered it all. And yeah, did I, did I have higher places to go into the corporate world? Absolutely. Um, but I, you know, when she said that, it really just hit me that when you're in the corporate world, your vision is of one mountain, right? And at the top of that mountain is the CEO. And at the bottom of the mountain are the, you know, sort of individual contributors. And everything is about climbing that mountain. And we all know not everybody's into like climbing, but the reality is like life is like a big mountain range. And just when you're like about ready to hit that summit, like I had for my individual company, like you look around and you're like, Oh shit. Like there's look at all these beautiful mountain ranges that I can go climb that I need to go climb. Cause if I don't, I will have no idea what kind of beauty is on the other side. And so that was really the turning point where I had thought about it, but thought, God, I'm really stupid to do this. Cause I was thinking like with my brain and she, she changed everything. She had me, you know, really see a whole new perspective. How long after that uh, interaction did you say, okay, I'm done? Yeah. So that was, um, I'd say about nine months when I publicly okay. did. So, you know, then I kind of went into starting to ask people around and get curious about what that would be. In fact, it's funny. So the first person I called, there's this guy that I used to work with. I hadn't seen him for years but we, we, we hooked up for some reason, some project or something, you know, we sort of came back into each other's professional lives and he used to work in corporate. He did small startups. He did consulting. Like he kind of did all the things that I was considering. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to give him a call. We have a good report and I'm going to tell him what I'm thinking and see what he says. And you know what he said to me? Hmm. Don't effing do it. Really? He was that blunt. He, you know, and he went on this rampage of like, when I worked in, you know, venture capital, they're all a-holes and like, here's why you don't want to do this. And, you know, he told me all the reasons it was so dumb. And thank the Lord, I actually had an executive coach at that time, um, sort of for the first time in my career, I'd been working with this woman, um, Carolyn Fryer Jones. And I remember going back, we had our session. She's like, what do you want to talk about? And I'm like, well, and I had been focusing both on work stuff, but also like what's next stuff for, for my, my growth. And I told her about the story and, you know, she basically said, how did it make you feel? And I, and I told her, cause I, cause I was actually like, okay, I'm done. I'm like, 
I took one person's advice and I'm like, this is stupid. I'm just going to stay the course and keep, you know, trying to get other corporate jobs. And she really helped me through it and really talked me through it. And so it, it is a process. And I will say the best thing I gave myself was space. So I actually, I, before Be Authentic Inc., I started another company. I started a software company, which sounds super freaking cool, except for I never started it. Like I never developed any software, but I had, <laughs> I had this whole idea and I wanted to create this app that helped um, sort of basically crowdsource your schedule with other parents. The, the challenge I was trying to solve is that, especially with kids and sort of elementary school, like the activities, the school activities, the things you have to remember, the games you have to go to is like mind-boggling and you get all these papers at home that tell you like remember the band concert remember this and then you got to put it in your calendar and you know so I had this whole idea about creating this app and technology and I got super gung-ho and I did the whole business case and I started to talk with potential partners and then and then I got to a point and I had talked to a couple of mentors and I was like oh crap I have to actually build stuff like, <laughs> I don't I don't like building stuff. I like creating. I'm a creator, but I don't like building stuff. And so, you know, I was doing that while I was still working. And, you know, I will tell you to anybody, like, give yourself the space, the chances that of like what you think you should do next. I mean, I was also, you know, I had somebody recruiting me for a year to come run his company, a spinoff, and he was going to give me all, you know, all this equity. And, you know, it looks so good on paper. You know, I entertained that. I entertained a lot of things. And I'm so happy that I gave myself the space and the time to really sort of settle in and figure out ultimately what I was meant to do because it, it takes a lot of time. So yeah, so it was about nine months till I told, um, told my boss, which, you don't mind is a funny story too. Yeah, please fire. <laughs> so, so it's June now, June of 2018. Um, I got reorged. So I got put under a different, you know, executive vice president that was sort of overseeing me and my business. And I knew him pretty well. And so it had gotten out. I had told my sponsor who was the president of the larger enterprise. Um, and she had kind of put a full court press trying to keep me on board, trying to offer me new jobs. Mm -hmm. And so Dan says to me, first, first one-on-one, I hear there's a rumor that you're thinking about leaving. And, you know, I was just at that point where I was ready to burst. And so I bursted. I was like, yep, I, this is what I need to do. And I'm, you know, I'd like to make October my last day and blah, 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 blah. So now for fast forward to the weekend. Now my husband and I always talk about me taking like this break and, you know, in general, the concept he was behind he knew I was sort of working on it, but we're at a party the next weekend and I'm talking to a friend and I'm telling her this whole story about my conversation with my boss and how I told him, you know, it's October and my husband over, overhears this and he's like, huh? He, I literally had not discussed any of this with him. I actually told my boss before he even knew that I had like set a date. So I had a, I had a little oh, wow. background and I still had the same coach and I remember telling Carolyn and she was like, Aaron you really messed up. Like, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So I, I told my boss before I told my husband, but it's, um, but it's all worked out great. I'm glad it worked out. I mean, I imagine that's a, that's an interesting conversation. I have always have, uh, you know, I've, I've shared with my wife, Hey, if I ever make this decision on my own, she's like, I'm at the point in our marriage where, you know, I got your back. Just, <laughs> just, you know, I'm sure you'll make a wise decision. And it sounds like you made a wise decision yourself. I, Aaron, I can't tell you how many people I've come across that 
um, are quote unquote, in their mind, at the top of their career, right? And as that lady told you on Southwest, you know, who said this is the top? And it's funny, right? I You run across very talented, successful, wealthy people. And I've always told people when, you know, I ask anybody who comes in my organization, are you motivated by uh, money? Are you motivated by recognition? Right? And when people tell me they're solely motivated by money, I always have the same response as, well, what happens when you have enough? Like, what, what happens when you make enough? And I always get one of two responses, either one, and I always say the quality people, and I I hate saying that because I have some people in my organization that have answered both. But when people are like, well, you know, uh, I don't think that money is the definition for me. I think success, legacy, impact. I like that because eventually, you know, you don't don't stress about money. I mean, the show is called Catapulting Commissions, but at a certain point, you're like, okay, you know, what what is money that I'm stressing about? It's not that impactful. It's not going to motivate me. It's not my ceiling. And so for you, CEO, large organization, to hear you say, hey, this isn't my ceiling, there's a listener right now saying, that's inspiring. That, that's motivating. And, and I say there's listeners, probably me, because when I read it, I was inspired. I'm like, holy crap, dude. She took a step and bet and doubled down on herself and doubled down on yourself in, in such a calculated way that it's um, you know, very praiseworthy and, and I'm extremely impressed. And as I said, you know, I've shared it before with you and I'll share my listeners. I have that article printed up on my wall because I think that what Aaron discusses in there, the courage to bet on yourself is incredibly uh, impactful. Thank you. Let's retract here a second. So you're coming into this position of leadership, right? And you take over this organization, three years of consistent growth, $2 billion organization. It wasn't like that when you first walked in. No. Right? So can you walk us through that initial step in leading a team to be successful, right? Because in leading that process, you, one, had to get people to buy into you, buy into the vision, and then follow that with execution. And I know, you know, it's CEO, it's not a salesperson, but you are. You, I mean, you sell the entire company in the correct direction. So can you walk us through that first year? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I had to, I had to sell our, our sort of big guy CEO uh, to you as well. Yeah, you know, so first of all, it was so interesting. when So when I was handed the CEO position, I was handed interim CEO. I was COO at the time. They had moved the CEO over to another sort of big, big project, a huge uh, acquisition. And, you know, I'll never forget the phone call. We were on, we were in Florida on vacation. We were at my parents' place getting ready to go to a water park. So like the one day I was not going to have my phone on me, right? I was just going to let loose. Like nobody knows me down there. I'm going to go have a blast and ride a bunch of water slides and act like I'm, you know, 10 again. And just as we're getting ready to walk out the door, my boss calls me and he doesn't call me off. And I was, you know, and I had one of those bosses, like just one of those big, very big, uh, literally and figuratively. um, I had a good rapport with him, but a little intimidating. Mm -hmm. And, And so I was like, hey, Steve, what's up? So he was like, I'm being reassigned to this, you know, this big, uh, project. We knew at the time it was to try to acquire Humana and you're being named as interim CEO, but they're going to post the job to see if there's anyone better. Now, I don't think he said it exactly like that, but that's what I heard, right? That's what I heard. And at first I was like, how dare they, right? Like what a crappy thing to hear. Like we're giving it to you, but we're pretty sure there's somebody better out there and we're going to go. 
And then, you know, probably over the next week or so, I was like, good. Like, I'm not sure I want it either. So while you guys are testing the waters, you know, I'm going to do the same. And then phase two hit me, which was, I'm just going to freaking crush this thing. And they're going to have no choice but to hire me, right? Like, I knew that I was in better position to prove out my worth than sit across from a bunch of executives and interview better than, you know, some highly qualified and paper dude that they might bring in. So the first thing I did, you know, I knew it was, you know, business is a chess match. I always say that, you know, wish you could move your queen and your king and your pawn and your knight and all that at the same time. And just like smash your competition, but you can't, right? You only get to make one move at a time. And you got to pick that most strategic move. So at that time, because um, we'd been suffocating, we had had flat earnings for, for three or four years. And with flat earnings, you don't deserve to invest in new things, right? And so I knew the first lever was we had to pull a really big financial lever. And, you know, the most important thing I did, what I realized when I wasn't in charge, you guys can, you, your audience, I'm sure can appreciate this. And you can probably relate, like, you would hear nothing about financials for like months and then there'd be a fire drill, right? Anthony, find me $2.2 million in your, you know, you have till Friday, right? And you're like, now you're on the phone with every one of your leaders and everybody and like, look under the couches. And the first thing I thought was like, I'm not going to do that like that. We are going to start from the beginning, full transparency. So I started meetings. It was with all of my leadership team who, who already met on a weekly basis for a staff meeting. And instead, we spent every other week in a financial meeting. And, and we literally, like I had my CFO put up on his screen, like we're going through our financials line by line. And I will tell you that very first meeting. So he pulls it up and it's like, it's almost like we're on CSI, you know, when they're like figuring out a crime and like one person's like, yeah, but I saw this. And then the other person's like, but I, but I saw this. And it always seems so cheesy which actually my husband works in a three-letter agency. I'm like, is it really like that? And he's like, no, 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 it actually kind of is. Like everybody kind of sees their pieces. So this meeting was like that. It was like, you know, Brendan was like, wait, what's this line? What's this expense, Dominic? And Dominic drills down. He's like, oh, it's for this, this, and this. And, and then he's like, something feels, you know, fishy. And long story short, he goes out to our vendor manager we realized pretty quickly and then took us about a month to do the forensics that we had been overbilled a million dollars by one of our print vendors. Now our bottom line at the time was our like pre-tax earnings was at 17 million. So a million dollars is a lot of money to be overbilled. Huge. Huge. Right. And so we just started to do things like that. We also, we had a a huge um, partner of ours. It was our largest distribution channel. And, you know, we always, we kind of, half joke about how we knew we were kind of underwater with them. Like they were huge volume, but like if we cost accounted, we probably were losing money. Well, nobody had actually cost accounted and, and probably shouldn't in the past, right? When you first start these things up, it was sort of a a market breaking thing. So you don't even know how to price it. You don't know what to expect. So we went back and we, we spent a solid month, like doing the hard work to do some cost accounting to like do a PL for that channel. And we had lost, I think, I think when we looked at it, we we had lost the year before like $17 million. So we essentially had lost our full profits on just one distribution channel of ours, which was bringing us great top line numbers, but it was killing us from the bottom line. And um, we bat, went to bat. We went, we played a game of chicken. We One of the toughest negotiations. In fact, my boss at the time 
you know, again, I'm an interim CEO status. She was a really tough lady. And I'll never forget when she said, Aaron, what are you going to do if you lose your largest distribution channel? And I just looked at her and I said, I won't. And uh, I still, I still have the email. I think I saved it because there was an email where I was like, this one's going to take guts, right? All leaders want like these big levers, but they don't have the guts. And so went through a very gutsy negotiation. It was insanely successful. We got a 50% increase in our revenue that ended up being an extra like $11 million the next year. And so, you know, the first phase was just like transparency, transparency into the thing we needed most, which was financials. Um, The second was fighting for the business. So I went through a whole time where there was a lot of question marks, whether we were the right business to still, you know, have within the enterprise. And that's a story for another day because it's a really, really long one. But it, it culminated with me having a really big girl moment sitting on, you know, the top floor of, of the building with all men, uh, except for two women, but mostly men, um, fighting, you know, in the toughest time to fight, fighting for our business and walking out in 35 minutes with a decision that even my boss's boss said would never happen. Um, and so first it was like paying that chess match, getting the financials. And then I had this moment. So it's about a year later, we've gotten through a lot of this where we now have money to invest. Like we're feeling momentum. I'm on stage in front of, we had about, about 200 account managers and salespeople. And I'm talking and I could, I was talking about some of the progress we'd made. And I just saw this like joy in their face, like this pride as I was talking about it. And I thought, I got off the stage and I thought, you know what? We have kind of accidentally started building a good culture, right? Part of that came from me, you know, people like me, we were, we were sort of just like getting lucky and doing the things that were making people happier. And I thought, what would happen if we made that our single biggest investment, our single biggest focus and our single biggest strategic differentiation, like all in top of the list culture, what would happen if we did that? And so we went on a journey. We, we partnered with uh, a leadership group who really coached us and, and helped us, the Alchemy Group, who I'm forever grateful have changed my leadership skills for the better, like you could never you know, imagine. And we, you know, we systematically invested in our culture um, in very tangible ways. And to the point where one year our our employee um, culture index on our on our uh, employee engagement you know, survey mm-hmm. went up 11 percentage points in one year alone. Wow. And, you know, this was I mean, we had a huge service operation, phones, claims like, you know, there there were a lot of people that had tough jobs, had tough perspectives, and, you know, we were really able to turn it around. And that's, you know, was my, definitely my, my proudest moment. So it was really about like, what lever do you have to move first? And for some, you know, actually for us, before I was CEO, it was operations and people in front of me really pulled that lever. Uh, You know, it might be finances, it might be sales. That's something I left on the table, our sales were still, our top line was still a challenge when I left. Like you as a leader can't solve it all, but you can figure out what is the biggest puzzle piece to move and just go all in on that. There's so much profoundness in what you just shared. And just piggybacking from the end, as a leader, we can't solve everything, right? And I think uh, as, you know, I, as a sales leader and a sales manager, I manage a team, you know, multi-million dollar business unit. And there's times where, hey, I can't solve this. I have to either trust you to solve it or 
we're going to have to leave this unsolved because I have you know higher priority things. So to hear you say that is, is really, really uh, phenomenal feedback. Hey, I wanted to take a quick minute and interrupt this episode for a second. I hope you're enjoying what you've heard thus far. Are you a sales professional or do you manage a team of sales professionals? I imagine you know someone who struggles with complacency. I'm talking about the sales rep who has all the tools to be a top performer, but just can't seem to get past the mental hurdle that is holding them back. I completely understand and I relate with you. That is why I've created a detailed approach on how to get out of this stage of complacency and put yourself in position to achieve your next sales goal. Be sure to visit my website, catapultingcommissions.com. Once there, you can find the link to pick up a copy of my international best-selling book, Catapulting Commissions. Now, let's get back to our show. What I love that you started with, you go into this role, right? Kind of get the chip on your shoulder. I'm not the interim. I'm, I'm the real deal. You can call me interim. It's like, hey, you're the junior varsity team. We're, like, I, I, can, I can completely understand how that could piss somebody off. It would piss me off. I started um, shooting the threes. I was like, screw it. I'm going to yeah. start back the threes in. Yeah, I'm going big. I'm going hard. And you know what? I'm either going to earn this job or I'm going to get fired trying to. One way or the other. I'm not going to be the interim. Yeah. So, but you started with the message that you said you were going to be transparent. And opening up that doors and transparency, I, you know, I have leaders that are co-leaders or that that work with me. And when I have this conversation of transparency, um, some people feel that transparency leads to vulnerability and exposing vulnerability to the people around you. Did that ever cross your mind that, hey, if I expose this transparency and vulnerability, I would be viewed as a weaker CEO, a weaker leader? How, how did that, you know, did that come to mind? And, and what was the feedback on that transparent approach? Yeah, you know, so we all come with sort of certain DNA qualities that are like at the root of us. One of mine is transparency. And in fact, I, I joke, so I'm from Northern Michigan. I'm from a small town, you know, Midwest girl, Michigan girl. And I think a lot of it's rooted there. I always say I'm transparent to a fault. Okay. You know, when you're in the bathroom line with me and we got 30 seconds or when you're in the Southwest Airlines, you, you may learn my entire story of my life. Um, so transparency had always been something that I personally had felt comfortable with um, in that, the, you know, vulnerability, which is one of the key like ingredients to authentic leadership, which is my jam, which I didn't figure out was my jam until sort of the end. And I looked back and was like, oh, that's what it's called. Um, it's such a key component to that, you, you know, and there's, there's a fine line, right? Like being vulnerable and transparent isn't getting up in front of your town hall and, and like, Hey people, I just couldn't sleep last night because we've got an issue with like our systems, you know, <laughs> uh, scalability. And I'm super worried about, it's really about showing that you're human, showing that you need them to help you figure it out. And I think you're better off crossing the line than not, like meaning crossing a little bit to showing like that you might be worried about something that they shouldn't. Um, I think it's one of the most powerful things you can show. And, and I'll actually, you know, that's for your employees. What I think was one of my most, because I also really earned um, a lot of respect of the senior leaders that were sort of surrounded me in the broader enterprise and, you know, some of it was like, I'm sure you and, and listeners can relate with this, like, right, you go to a, a quarterly business review mm-hmm. uh, and you're with your peers and you have your dashboards and it's like, it's, you know, it's like propaganda fest. It's like green, it's like green fest, 
here's all the, you know, good things we're doing. Like you, you, you know, all the, the 10 sales, of course, you know, a lot of times people don't talk about that you just lost one of your biggest clients or that you like got beat out by your biggest competition and one of your prospects. And the leaders that you're talking to are not stupid. They know business is not perfect. So one of the best ways that I think I gained a great reputation, like I would go into those quarterly business reviews, I would go in with reds. Like I would, you know, cause you can kind of massage these right. and your metrics. Sales was a red for us until the day I left. I wasn't able to solve it, but it wasn't truly evergreen. And so I think by always being really honest about what, you know, our big, big boss, always the best agenda structure you can ever put together is this. What's working well? What's not working so well? What are you doing about it? And where can I help? And so Mark used to always sort of impress upon us, but people wouldn't do it. They would just go in and talk about what's working well, what's working well. And then when he asked a few questions about like some big deal that he knew wasn't going well, they would tell them. And so I think that transparency and that honesty, I, I never went into a meeting where a leader was like, eh, is Aaron giving us the whole story? That was so important to me. I used to, when I knew I was leaving, I would tell people all the time, the last freaking thing I want is for me to leave this company and then somebody be like, oh, Aaron was hiding that, you know, sales weren't, you know, getting to where we need to be. Like, I never wanted my reputation after I left being of somebody that like hid things. And I think that transparency, it, you know, just gains you so much credibility, both with your sort of team down the line, as well as with those above you. Absolutely. I think, you know, your, how you approach that, that, uh, that transparency, I, uh, I think more leaders need to implement that. I think there is so much value in the people who are following you seeing, hey, here's the good, here's the bad, here's the ugly, and here's our plan to it. And then when you say, hey, I'm showing you the reds and I'm sharing with you some of the negatives, for me, if you're my leader, I'm like, okay, I'm buying into you. I got your back, partner. Let's let's ride this thing out. Let's figure it out together. Um, and I, I've had leaders before that have, done exactly what you said. Here's the good. Here's the good. But, you know, there's a tidal wave forming behind us and you're not going to know about it until it's too late. Um, You know, I, I, I have a, you know, I have a running joke with my team that I currently lead. I'm like, look guys, I'm going to tell you if we're going to fall off a bridge, I'm not going to let the bridge just, you know, I might not have an answer and my answer might be, Hey, we're going to hold hands on the way down, but we're going to, you're not going to be blindsided by the bridge running out of road. So uh, that, that, I think that definitely helps create the next thing I want to talk about that culture you talked about, right? So you start with this transparent approach, you get people bought into you. And from what from what it sounds like, you change the organization by doubling and tripling down on creating that culture. If, if you had to give me a, a synopsis, what were the two or three things that you said, okay, here's how we're going to implement culture. And my follow-up to that is, how did that trickle down to the entire organization? Yeah. <clears throat> so I wrote a business insider article on this. Awesome. <laughs> I'll have to make sure I send it to you, but yeah. Please do. I, um, yeah. There, and it's funny. There were like three things. So let me see if I can get those three things right. You know, so the, the first is, is, is invest in leadership training. So many people, you know, have CEOs that I coach. I have one in particular that will bring me issues and, and sort of call them culture. And I'm like, no, that's leadership. Like that's basics. And so the foundation of any good culture in a company is you've got to have really good leadership training. And the training that we implemented was so different. It was so um, sustaining 
in their approach. And there was a lot to that. Um, but everything was built on the foundation of trust is always there and it's either going up or it's going down or it's staying the same, but there, you always have to gauge that and how you sort of manage that trust. Um, so we, you know, we really invested in that leadership training. We, we did a two and a half day immersion for my whole team. We did every single people leader, all 100 people leaders in our organization went to one of three, trainings we did in different locations throughout the country. So they did a full day training. And then we, um, we finished it up with a leadership summit that um, I described to my big, big boy CEO as the proudest two days of my entire career. Um, So we brought everybody in um, even women, you know, quote unquote supervisors, which I always hated that word, but like our call center frontline managers that had never, ever been invested in their life never traveled. I, I remember going out to see our Fort Wayne office in Indiana. And one of them was like, was that email really for us? Are we really going to Hartford in April? And I was like, yeah, you are. And, you know, so that was number one. Number, t- number two is you have to like, you have to give up power, which is really, really hard for me and really hard for most leaders. So what you want to do in these situations, you're like, it's another initiative. Let's build a team. Let's, you know, it starts with my management team. And instead we built um, what we called a cultural board of directors. So I really wanted something that wasn't like a committee. It wasn't like, I wanted to signify like you guys run the show. And we were very, very purposeful in this, in this board of directors and, and tried to get the most diverse board of directors we could, whether it was um, team they were on, location they were in, level they were at. So sort of those kinds of diversity so that we only had a couple people from my direct team, you know, that were at senior management positions. We had a number of individual contributors. We had a number of middle managers. We had somebody, we had uh, five or six office locations. So we had somebody in every office location. We had somebody from work at home. And then we really enabled them. We sent them on field trips. Um, I actually went with them. We went to GE. We did like look and sees. We, you know, sort of got inspired. Um, And then when when we developed the leadership summit and God, it went against every type A bone in my body. We gave them full control. And I'll tell you, we had the leadership development company who were paying a lot of money, quite frankly, to help us do this. And at first I remember, I ha- so I also had, I, I had kind of had a uh, um, chief culture officer I had named. Mm-hmm. So I did have a right-hand person. So it wouldn't, go by the wayside. Cause I knew me, like I'd start out, I'd get really excited and then, you know, things would fall by the wayside. And I remember Stephanie and I, um, talking after the first meeting and we're sort of like, Oh, Alchemy's not really doing anything. They're just telling us what to do. Right. Like that, like visceral reaction, like, what are we paying you for? You're not doing the work. And we couldn't have been more wrong The What they did is they made sure that that conference was developed by the people for the people and delivered by the people. And so when we had those two days for that leadership summit, you know, instead of seeing a bunch of consultants on the stage, which you're like, these are great, but like, what happens when they get on, jump on a plane and leave us right uh, after this is all done, it was all delivered by their peers for the most part. And so there was the sustainability. In fact, I remember my, my final speech, which also is a funny story too, but my point here is my final speech too. I remember like somebody was like, well, you got to tell them all the things we're going to do to follow up, to keep this going. And I had like one thing that we were going to do and everything else. Cause these were leaders. 
was on them. And so we really, we dispersed it. And, you know, even afterwards, we kept um, leadership meetings um, going, like once a month, these new, like all leaders meetings. And it's hard to keep doing. So everybody loved the conference, felt enabled, like people were so happy they were part of it and delivering it. And then we get back to normal life and we're like, okay, we're having these leadership monthly meetings. We're going to have an office volunteer to lead it every time. Crickets, right? Like, so you go back to the same, like, you're like, come on guys. And so it was this constant process. And, and, and I remember that nobody volunteered. And so finally I was like, all right, Omaha, you're up. So-and-so and so-and-so you're leading walking away. And you know, our first leadership meeting that they ran was amazing. They had this like whole football theme and they had all these other people coming in to talk. And like, it wasn't just like talking heads like me. And so, you know, giving up that control is critical. And then the third, really most important part of all of this, when I started building a good culture, I was like, I got this. Like, I'm an inspirational person. This is sort of my jam. I have this energy. I love to tell inspiring stories. Like I'm just going to inspire the shit out of everybody. And then I realized like, that's not sustainable. And what I will tell leaders is you actually have to create a culture platform. And what I mean by that is you have to, the, the analogy I always give is, you know, those like flying discs where you pull the ripcord and they go flying uh-huh. like your job is to like pull that ripcord and have that culture fly and yeah every once in a while that thing comes to the ground and you gotta pull it again so you don't walk away but you have to create systems in, to make it a cultural platform and I'll give you the most like so when I tell people that I would imagine I'd be like oh that sounds great but like what like what the hell is that it's super simple things that get you there. So one of the most powerful things we did single-handedly helped us fly that, that flying desk. When I got back after that leadership summit, our weekly staff meetings used to be like everybody else's, right? Issue number one, issue number two, issue number three, right? People yeah. throw in their agenda items we get and we just start solving. And you know, some of it was forward looking if the marketing department had something, but like other than that, it was like, right, issue resolution. And instead, I just added one agenda item at the top of every, and I remember my assistant was like, really? You want this on every, I'm like, every meeting, every week when we meet, and it was called Slow Down and Inspire. And we started this process where we spent the first 10 minutes, and I will tell you, in the times we're in right now, like, this is the perfect time and the simplest thing you'll ever do. And we would just spend 10 minutes, and it was you know, at first it was a lot of like leadership best practices. I mean, to the point where I was like, I'm a shitty leader. These guys are so much better than me. Like they were doing all this stuff, (laughs) book clubs with their team and like videos. And I was like, damn, like they are so good. But then it also became like, so-and-so on my team, you know, just lost 150 pounds and he shared it with us. And, you know, I just ran my first half marathon and like, my kid just got this amazing award. And, and so it became this, you know, 360 degree, anything goes. And so we started doing at our staff meeting. Well, what happened was, of course, my senior directors who also had their own staff meetings did the same. And it started just like morphing to the point where everybody was doing it in their own ways. Even our operational daily operational show calls that we would have, like when mm-hmm. it was like, all oh, the things that are broken, let's get together and, and make sure everything's running. 
Mondays became motivational Monday, Fridays became like something Friday, like fun Friday. And they would share things like people that were leading those meetings went from just like this boring, calculated, depressing, and they started to add their own twist on slow down and inspire. And it was that moment when it started to kind of proliferate that I kind of stood back and I was like, my job is done here. And that's, you know, I think we all need to strive. Slow down and inspire. Who would have thought, right? You start something and you take this cultural platform, as you describe, and you said, we're going to, uh, what I hear from that is you implement it from the top and it trickles down. And I think starting, you know, you being the CEO, right? I mean, you're, you're the highest person in your business unit. Here's what we're going to do, guys. And as everyone buys in and rolls down, and what's exciting is, is you're giving people an opportunity to feel invested, to feel valued. And I think that's probably one of the things that sales leaders, and I'm going I'm to spin this a little bit on you. I think sales leaders forget that on the other side of that sales number, on the other side of that black number or red number or sales forecast, there's still a human there. Right? There's still a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a single, whatever it may be. There's a human there that has all the emotions, all the feelings. And if we don't care about that person, they're never going to care enough to work hard for this company, this job, this organization. And, and you, know, you mentioned and you get these, you know, these fire drills. You can only call a fire drill on somebody if you've invested in that person, it's almost like, you know, we, you know, we're, uh, you know, it's, it's a really trying time right now. I had a call with my team earlier and we were talking about revenue and I was like, Hey, for me, honestly, there's no, there's no way in the world I'm going to call. And, and my team works in healthcare. I'm not going to call my healthcare providers right now and try to drive revenue. I'm going to call them like, Hey man, do you need some toilet paper? How, how can I be of service? I'm not calling them that drill because the timing's not right. Where I'm going with that is, Leaders and organizations, they call these fire drills. But if you haven't done that emotional investment into your person, into your team, they're not going to respond. And, um, you know, I've learned in my experience of, of, of watching organizations and all the studying that I have done in, in leadership and in sales leadership specifically, sometimes it's lip service, sometimes it's executed. And with your slow down inspired, the three things you did to change culture, which is invest in your leaders within a leadership training program, you gave up power. Kudos to you. I mean, that is that is one of those things that I'm sure was very nerve wracking. It's easy to say right now. It's easy to talk about, but at the time, oh. I, I imagine you were like, "I what what the hell did I just do? Why did I do that? Everything's going to go by the wayside." And then implement that cultural platform. I think that. Uh, is one thing that every person listening here, if you have a sales team, uh, that has to be implemented today, right now. And, you know, I don't want to date this, but, you know, we'd be still, I mean, there, there's so much going on right now in America that as a leader, your time to lead is now. This is it. I mean, this is it. This is what we pr- tra- uh, practice for. This is what we train for. This is what we do. So good for that. So you, you talked about the keys to authentic leadership. And one of them you said was vulnerability. What are the others? Yeah, it's so funny because the first time I gave my first keynote on this, I was like, here's what authentic leadership is. It's humor, humility, and storytelling. And, you know, the speech went great at all these kudos, but one guy came over to me. It's so funny. It's older gentleman, board of directors for a company that I actually <clears throat> work with. And he was like, it's great. He said, but like, that's not me. And I was like, 
you're right. That's an oxymoron. But like me, me actually telling you what is authenticity is sort of like this natural oxymoron. So what I, what I tell people, so a couple of things, one, I, I read, wrote another article, which was um, about how to know you're not an authentic leader. Right. Okay. So the concept is like you, it's kind of wrong to define it, but it's pre- pretty easy to tell you the shit that is not authentic. Um, so, you know, I think there, there are some key tenants and I sort of put like five H's behind these tenants. Um, so first of all, you know, humor is like the international language, right? So I would say <clears throat> humor is a key tenant. Uh, humility, I think is a, is another H key tenant. Um, you need to be heartfelt. Hmm. Um, you need to be honest and you need to be, I call it hip. And I don't mean hip, like wearing like the coolest clothes and stuff, but you need to constantly be on the edge of what's new. You need to be kind of unexpected. You know, one of my favorite quotes ever is by Colin Powell and it's, uh, people, you know, you're a good leader when people follow you out of curiosity. Wow. And, you know, I always say, you know, I have my own saying, which is people respect authority, but they follow authenticity. And the reality is, you know, I've had some leaders in my time frame, that, you know, in my time that I can think of, like, they may have not been the most polished. They may have not been, you know, the nicest, but there was something really curious about them. You know, they were just a little unexpected. They were a little whimsical. They were a little leading edge. And you were sort of like, you know, I don't want to say it's like, you know, uh, rubbernecking on the highway where you're always curious, right? But it, there's there's a little, you, you also have to leave, you know, that's what I mean by hip. You have to always be a little bit curious as well. Um, and, you know, it's so simple. It's so, so simple. Like one of the biggest things I always hound on and like give as a tangible example, and there's many of them, but like, your communications. One of the things that's my kryptonite, you know, I sat amongst a bunch of peers that would send out the typical communication. They'd have Anthony's face on it, headshot. It's like, yeah, no shit. Everybody knows what Anthony looks like. It would have a bunch of big words. It would make you sound really smart. You know, it might be about an org change or it might be about a new, you know, new operating plan. People don't read that stuff. <laughs> I don't read that stuff. They don't. In fact, I remember my... You know, our president, sort of my big boss, you know, used to send these out all the time, right? She had a bazillion people writing for her and her whole comm team. And she'd send these super fancy communications. I'm going to read a one. And then one day, the company had gone, you're in healthcare too, right? So we'd just gone through like huge losses uh, as it related to the private exchanges, like financials were terrible. And she sent out this communication, no fancy picture, no fancy, you could tell she actually wrote it. And she was reflecting very honestly and authentically about like how she felt about some of the decisions they had made and what she would have done different. I read every single word and I responded to her. I I mean, I knew Karen, but I would never respond to those other communications. Like who would they actually go to? Right. I hit reply and I, you know, I had some nice words to her for like what she had said. And so, you know, things like that, right. You write your communications, like tell a story, connect with people, like, sound like a human. Um, you know, you're out of office messages. Stop sounding like a robot. What a great opportunity to like tell, you know, tell people something fun. Like I'm going to visit one of my favorite customers 
you know, I'm on the road visiting. I'm taking a much needed break with my family, you know, up in the mountains. Um, There's just really simple things you can do to break the mold. Stop like following the rules and start like creating the next set of rules and just being a little more human, a little more different, a little more unexpected. And you'll, next thing you'll know, you'll be called an authentic leader. I dig it. I dig it. You know, just to, to put uh, proof in the pudding here. Uh, one, all of Aaron's articles that she mentioned will be uh, located in the show notes. So you can go ahead and click on the show notes under catapults and commissions, and we'll give you a link to those articles. But two, I read your LinkedIn profile. You talk about authentic leadership. Your LinkedIn profile is the most authentic. I mean, you talked about, oh, I wasn't that good at this job. I mean, it was just, I've never... You read, read it. I've, I've never heard somebody that actually saw it. I thought it was amazing. I've read hundreds of them. This I wrote the it best one. Like three in the morning. You know how like sometimes you can't sleep and when you're yeah. an entrepreneur, you sort of just give up and you're like, well, I work whenever I want to work anyway. I don't know what I was doing. And I, like all of a sudden, next thing you know, I got knee deep in rewriting all of my, yeah. So what he's talking about is if you do the fold out on all my positions, I tell a story. It's basically like if you and I were sitting having a drink and you're like, dude, what did you do? Like, how did you get this job? Or would you like this? I basically, that's how I tell it in LinkedIn. So it's funny that you, that you found that and read that. Exactly. Like little things like that. And you stick out. People like don't want to hear the same old, same old. They want to hear somebody fresh and new and different. That, that component, right? Your five keys, that hip one. I really, I, uh, I think that's more impactful now than it has ever been, right? Because the workforce is like in this generation gap, right? You have a combination of three generations in one workforce, right? And, you know, people are all vying for for that top spot or, you know, I mean, companies are vying for top talent. Um, you know, I, I know what I've recruited top talent. I've been recruited from competitive companies and it's that component of that hipness, that would be the one where it'd be like, you know, that's that's different because everyone can be the corporate mold. Everyone can fit the cookie cutter of here's what a regional director sounds like. Here's what a CFO sounds like. To hear your CEO be like, nah, dude, I'm on vacation drinking beers. Do not call me. That's my out of office. <laughs> yeah. Leave me alone. I don't want to hear from you. It would be like, that's pretty funny. I dig that, right? I'm sure someone's not. for that person. Yeah. Like, yes, people. And by the way, all businesses is one big freaking talent war. It right? is. It is just one big talent war. And I used to, I used to laugh about that. I'm like, my, my other sort of no offense, but some of my colleagues, I'm like, dude, I'm stealing your talent left and right. And it's not that hard. I'm just being approachable and authentic and relatable and a little unexpected. Um, That's all it takes. You get the best, the best ones come your way. That is awesome. So, so how is, how is Be Authentic right now helping people get to that stage? Because, you know, we've had a great dialogue here and, 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 very inspiring. And I think to hear your approach on leadership is is groundbreaking. And I, I hope someone's listening to this right now that has a team that's going to be like, you know what? I'm just going to be more human. I'm just going to be me and let you see me for who I am. And you can make your decision after that. But I, I, I dig that. How do people get like, how does someone learn to be an authentic leader? And I imagine it's a little difficult because I don't want to call you and say, hey, Aaron, I'm an unauthentic leader. Help me. Or, you know, is it more of a, hey, I'm at a rough spot. How do I get to this next spot? What does that look like? Yeah. So I kind of attack the problem from two different directions. And the horrible analogy I use sometimes is, so first of all, like if you're trying to take down a dictator, 
like a Hitler or something, which is kind of how I feel with some of the, you know, corporate BS, right? Like it's just, there's two ways you can do that. You can either go talk to Hitler and their men and try to convince them of your way, or you can build an army to defeat them. And so the foundational part of my business is building an army to defeat them. And so what I mean by that is I'm starting with everyday people, you know, and some of those may be leaders and some of those may be frontline employees, maybe, you know, and everybody's a leader, of course, but in, you know, varying parts of their career. And the focus is on really helping people at the heart of it, have a career without compromise is the way I put it. Because amongst all of this, my biggest thesis is that the best talent is actually opting out, opting down. In particular, females, but you know, I'm not a female-only company. I always say authenticity is gender neutral, but advantage women. And so, you know, one of the biggest things holding the best talent back is they're fearing that they're going to have to compromise. And that's could be their marriage, it could be their kids, it could be their health. And for a lot of them, it's essentially who they are, right? Having to change who they are to, to be successful and be in that job. So I attack that problem sort of, let's call it from the army or the bottom up. You know, I have a podcast, as you mentioned, it's called mm-hmm. Because with Aaron and Nicole. Um, B, the letter B and then space C-A-U-S-E, Because, um, which is very different. So we call it an offbeat career and leadership podcast because it's the two of us who half the time we do interviews, but half the time it's the two of us, two friends, like catching up. We're both executives. Um, she runs a, a nonprofit foundation. Uh, it's really funny. Um, a lot of it is coaching her actually through her significant challenges in her own career real time. Um, but she's extremely witty. She's one of my most unique friends I've ever had in my life. Yale graduate, Johns Hopkins, but super funny and super imperfect. Um, so, so that podcast is most importantly, not just saying the right words, but we're demonstrating authenticity, right? So I firmly believe that you learn more by what you see than what you hear. And so the podcast is, you know, our our big way to do that. I also have a career coaching program that I'm relaunching um, that's called Be Brilliant. And actually I'm launching it now. It's going to be evergreen out there all the time. You know, I tried to do all the things that I was supposed to do and have these launches and guess what? It didn't feel authentic. <laughs> and I was like, why is this not working? And so I'm just going to have a, 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 a ongoing, it's both group coaching and then also a 17 module um, online course. That's both me coaching and like 15 minute videos and then really fun, inspiring course worksheets to help propel people forward. And I put that together because I also got pissed that I got an executive um, coach when I finally was an executive. And I was like, Wait a, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. And the reason is because they're so freaking expensive, right? And so right. the people that need an executive coach can't afford it. And so the program, it's affordable, it's fun. Like one of the videos I do from like my bathtub, you know, it's typical Aaron where I'm not just talking, I'm demonstrating authentic leadership all along the way. Um, and then also, you know, I do believe though from the top down is important too. And so on a select basis, I work with, um, CEOs, primarily CEOs in the healthcare space. I have four, uh, three clients active right now. You know what's so funny about that, Anthony? Um, I actually call it coach salting. So I'm the way I position. I'm like this beautiful intersection of both a business advisor because I, I understand the business, right? But I'm also a coach. And what's been really beautiful about getting to shape some of these really great leaders is that authenticity ends up being the thread that runs through it as well. 
And so I don't, I know I don't sit down with them and be like, okay, what are we going to do authentic today? But the stuff they come up with and we come up with together and the things, you know, like one of my clients, Jeff, he is out there like already a better leader than I ever was and doing things like videos that are like apologizing for mistakes. And now they're using their supply chain to bring in uh, PPE, which is not their core business, but they make a pocket nebulizer. And so they're doing like, like all this stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know they were doing this. And so I also really love on a very select basis, working with some great leaders at the top that are going to be the next generation of leaders um, to not only crush their business, because I get how to crush business, but also to become the authentic leader that um, I know they can become. And, and I just help them become a better leader. So lots of fun stuff. And, you know, I always say it, I really, truly don't want it to be thought of as a business, but as a movement. And so doing everything I can, I'm out there right now doing free coaching sessions that I put out to my to my followers and to my uh, email list. Um, Cause I'm just like, Oh my God, people need help. So doing all that I can, I'll get back on the speaking circuit when that comes up. And, and as I th- told you before, I'm working on my book too. Cause I am crazy and I love to do all the things. Awesome. What catapulting commissions family. Did you hear that? That is 100% how to get with Aaron in the be authentic program. Uh, you touched on it. I think that value of having that course I fall victim into that where I I remember wanting to hire a coach eight, nine years ago. And and the coach I I wanted to hire was Hal Alrod, right? And at the time, Hal Alrod was was up and coming and he had a a reasonable fee. And I was like, ah, man, I'm not making that much money. I don't know. And so I passed off the buck on it. A few years ago, I went back. I'm like, hey, let me see what it would cost. Well, Hal's fee has grown with his popularity. I mean, his book's been transcribed in 61 different languages and has gone on to to massive reach. but this past well, almost year and a half now, two years, I've been working with the coach and my business aspect in so many different ways has improved to the point where, uh, you know, I'm running multiple things at once, but my efficacy and how I see things. And when you have that executive coach in your corner, that's outside your organization, that's an outside influence. It really does help take that to that next level, that next level of thinking. And, um, you know, when you have a coach that you pay for, you never show up to your calls unprepared. Like, I am not going to waste my coaching fees or whatever it is is to show up unprepared. So I think that having that program that people can run through on their own through these modules is definitely something that you should take advantage. And if you're interested in that, I'll have that link also in the show notes. Aaron, how do people track you down? How does someone get a hold of you? How does, you know, what, what's all the social media website? I think the podcast will put that there too, which is funny. I have listened to it myself and it's uh, authentic as can be. So what are, what are some of the ways people get a hold of you? Yeah. So um, beauthenticinc.com is the website. That's just the letter B because we're sassy like that, Authentic Inc. Um, social platforms. I'm, I'm most um, active on LinkedIn, actually. So I'd love for you to follow me there on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on, uh, Instagram at B underscore authentic underscore Inc. And I'm on Facebook at beauthenticinc.com. And you can write me anytime. You can just write to hello at beauthenticinc.com. I love hearing from people. Um, jump on my email list. I, I mostly send just a monthly newsletter and it's authentic as hell. It's storytelling. It's fun stuff. And then, Of course, I poke you and prod you when I have new things like my course and things like that. So any way that works for you, love to have you part of the movement. 
Well, we will definitely share that movement. Again, you can find Aaron in the Be Authentic Inc. program all in the show notes. Aaron, I want to say thank you. I know we have spent so much time today and I honestly feel like I have so many unanswered questions, but out of the respect of time, I'm going to get you to come back on the show down the road. Does that sound fair? That sounds awesome. It's my pleasure. Awesome. Great. Well, Aaron, thank you for joining the Catapulting Commission show and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Well, that does it for today's episode on Catapulting Commissions with Anthony Garcia. If you found some value in today's show, please be sure to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. Don't forget to subscribe to Catapulting Commissions. That way you get notified of new episodes every week. Lastly, please take a screenshot of today's show and share it on Instagram. Every week, I'll be giving away a signed copy of my best-selling book to one person who tags me at Anthony P. Garcia 99 and includes the hashtag catapulting commissions. Thank you for your time and I look forward to helping you achieve higher commissions.